I'm Marianne Kolbesak McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. I'm here at HIMSS 19 speaking with Mark Dill, a partner and principal consultant at TW Security. Hi, Mark. Hi, Marianne. So, Mark, when you work with covered entities and business associates, what are the most common mistakes that you're seeing them make with their incident response and breach notification plans these days? A lot of organizations uh, will already have a policy and a procedure, but it's, it's rudimentary. You know, if you write the policy well, it's going to last for several years, not change much. Procedures uh, change. What I see is that I'm still not seeing a lot of playbooks uh, in the cyberspace, you know, where you have, will have previously thought out how do you analyze or report the incident to begin with? It's lacking a structured workflow and a set of instructions at the detailed level on how to handle that, that particular you know, cybersecurity event, whether it's any kind of hack or malware or ransomware or a phishing attack, theft and loss of mobile media, human error, data exfiltration, data theft. You should have a series of playbooks. Some, some organizations like to deal with one playbook that branches out into those events. Others like separate playbooks. I'm a fan of the separate playbooks. The reality is that uh, a lot of events are blended, so you might have to reference certain portions of, you know, like a hack attack could start with malware, could lead to something else. So you have to have those uh, on the table. And so I'm not seeing a lot of uh, traction in the business associate space with that. I, I see a lot more success in mid-sized hospitals that are interested. And of course, we're trying to help organizations of all size get there. So we've also been seeing states like California bolster their privacy regulations. What steps should the covered entities and business associates be keeping tabs on in terms of updating their incident response and breach notification policies and procedures to keep current with these evolving state data breach laws and other evolving regulations that might impact those plans? One of the challenges is keeping up with the number of evolving regulations. And I don't know that that's exclusively the role of information security. In fact, I try to step away from you know, playing the role of attorney. What I do for myself and with the organizations that I work with is I try to build a better relationship with the law department, compliance and privacy. It works best when they come to me after having done some analysis on an emerging regulation and ask how does that affect the organization. It puts things in a context that's easier to deal with as a security pro. There's some information sources that are out there. I don't have a relationship with Foley and Lardner, but one of my peers does. It's I think it's second hit if you put in state data breach laws for a PII, they're the second hit. They produce a nice summary of all of the state's personally identifiable state regulations so that you can see how they compare and contrast. It, it just seems that you know, California leads the way in the U.S. In my case, you know, through my networking, I've been able to actually talk to the principal author of some of these regulations and talk about how CCPA, for instance, in California is intended to affect healthcare organizations across the country. Not everybody has that capability, but again, developing the relationship with internal or external counsel, putting the right questions on the table. I'm seeing global organizations, like a business associate that has a global footprint, having to comply with multiple standards and regulations, GDPR versus HIPAA. Uh, their strategy seems to be find the most stringent set of regulations and make that become your standard so that it's easier to comply with everything that's out there, rather than trying to be keenly aware of every single country, every region, every state. 
So now what other occurrences should prompt covered entities and business associates to update or tweak their incident response and related policies and procedures? You had mentioned earlier the different playbooks for different sorts of incidents. When should these playbooks be updated? I think at a minimum, you'd put them on a schedule. A mature organization not only completes security tasks, but they would have a schedule that says, we're going to update this documentation at this frequency. We're going to scan systems for vulnerabilities at this frequency. And so the playbooks are no different in the incident response plan. At a minimum, annual. I think any change in environment, whether it's technology change, you know, you rip and replace a new system, that is an opportunity. If the environment itself changes, if organizations around you are uh, becoming affected more and more by, by a particular attack, or if your own organization has, those are all opportunities to adapt and adjust. And then through tabletop exercises, again, if you're going to decide to step into the space of testing your plans, you have to do that at a defined frequency. You don't want to wing it and do it ad hoc. You're going to say, we're going to do this twice a year. Every time one of those events is conducted, you have an opportunity to have a post-incident review, lessons learned even from the tabletop, and write those changes back into the playbooks, ideally at least two times a year. Uh, depending upon the frequency that you test or the frequency that you're affected by uh, an event or an incident. So as the healthcare sector does become a bigger target for certain types of cyber attacks or cyber crime, how should covered entities and business associates be evolving their security programs to keep up with those threats? Well, well there's a reason that risk analysis is so high up in HIPAA. It's, it's core to every program and so as, as one input. And it's actually at a higher level than a cyber threat assessment. You know, risk analysis should be looking at all threats, including cyber. Cyber would be more targeted, just the things that the hacking, the malware, the digital type events. I think that uh, the third component is looking at process maturity. You can't have an application of talent and a good security stack set of tools without having the, the processes that support them. So understanding the maturity. Uh, that amount of input allows the CISO a great opportunity uh, to make adjustments in the program. Investing in people. Healthcare is a part of the critical infrastructure. It's surprising how many hospitals are not aware that there's free resources in the incident response space that they can tap into. For instance, if you're not-for-profit healthcare, doesn't pertain to business associates, but if you're a not-for-profit hospital, you are able to tap into FEMA training for incident responders. Its focus is on life safety, the kind of things you'd expect your emergency management team to be engaged in. But if you reach out to emergency management, find out who the regional representation representative is, you will qualify for free training. FEMA will send a cab to your door, they will fly you to Alliston, Alabama, they will put you up for three days. When they find out you're in IT, they will allow you to become IT section leader, for instance. They will put you through a variety of scenarios in the IT digital realm, the cyber realm, and you become more familiar with not only the Hicks command structure and all of their processes, but you become a better incident responder, a better first responder. So those are, you know, that's an example of a free resource that addresses not only the process, but the talent side of things. And finally, Mark, we've been talking about incident response. What about incident detection? Any emerging or underutilized security technologies that you think healthcare sector entities are either underutilizing or they need to consider implementing? So security information and event management is, is a mature technology. Every organization that I work with has some level of maturity of those practices. A lot of 
uh, organizations are trying to insource that. My experience has been that when you insource it with training and train up the talent, it's either the next or the ideal resume builder, and you could end up training uh, to the next level and your, your talent leaves. So it's an opportunity for a managed service to have that, that uh, taken care of. But even when that tool is fully optimized, a large organization you know, could see hundreds of events that they might have to look at in the course of the day, and no one has got a staff size large enough. So you need you know, the next level of process and tool. So uh, what is that? I think that uh, user behavior and device analytics adds great value. It provides an evidence-based approach for the two, three, or five events that the team ought to be looking at. Uh, those things in concert with orchestration, being able to automate some of the security tasks. My experience with uh, user behavior analytics is that to get to the answer that that tool set and process can deliver might take an individual two weeks of manual work to get that same answer that's provided in seconds. And so if user device behavior analytics are not where you want to be, then certainly security orchestration affords you the opportunity to automate certain tasks to get to the result quicker. And that's and then having the talent there that's actually ready to respond. I, I still deal with a lot of hospitals where one individual wears a lot of hats and it's, it's a part-time role. I think that building out the organizational structure and the talent for threat and vulnerability management is the next direction that uh, hospital IT and security organization doesn't have that, that they ought to be heading in. Thanks, Mark. I've been speaking to Mark Dill. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.